Well, good morning. We're so glad that you've joined us here today. Uh, several years ago, I was taking a hike at Chestnut Ridge Park. For those that aren't familiar with this park, it's located about 10 miles from the church up in the mountains. And I was walking along this access road, a road that I think was put in by the Department of Forestry. It's a fairly wide dirt road, and often I go there just to walk and to pray. One day, several years ago, while I was walking on this road, the thought occurred to me that I had lived in West Virginia for over 20 years, and I'd never seen a rattlesnake. Now, I had heard that there were rattlesnakes in West Virginia, and I knew there were copperheads. I had run into one of them, but I'd never seen a rattlesnake before. And although this might seem odd to some of you, I decided that I wanted to pray that God would actually allow me to come across one. I was walking about two miles away from the park office when I came across a field on the right-hand side of that access road. There was a little path that went into the center of the field, and so I I decided to follow that path, and, and the grass was very short there, so it wasn't really a dangerous situation. When I got to the middle of the field, I noticed that there were wood piles on both the left and the right-hand sides. There were piles of logs that were in various stages of decay, and the thought occurred to me that that would be a perfect habitat for a rattlesnake. And so I went to the left-hand side. I got a stick that was between six and eight feet long. And by the way, uh, don't try this at home. Uh, There are some things about my life that I would hope would be worth imitating, but this would not be one of them. But I went over to that pile of logs and began to look for a rattlesnake, and I didn't see anything, and so I started to poke around with with the stick that I had. And still nothing happened, and so I decided to head back. But just as I was turning to leave, suddenly I, I heard a rattle. And I looked directly in front of me, and on the ground underneath one of the logs, I could see that there was a rattlesnake there. But it wasn't very clear. I couldn't see it very well because most of it was underneath the wood. And so, again, don't try this at home. And I was six to eight feet away, but I decided to prod it just a little bit. I wasn't trying to make it mad or anything. I just wanted it to maybe come out in the open just a little bit more. But when I poked the snake, it went actually underneath the logs. And so, once again, I thought this was it. I turned to leave, and suddenly I heard another rattle. This rattle was to the left of the first one, and I looked over, and there was a huge rattlesnake there. I suspect it was the daddy. And this one really, really startled me. I wasn't expecting that. I thought after I'd seen my first rattlesnake, okay, that's it, I'll just head back, and suddenly now there was another one. And the thought occurred to me that this whole field could be filled with these rattlesnakes, and here I am. And so I just stood there for about a minute while it was rattling at me and eventually it calmed down and I decided to slowly back away and I made made my way back toward that path. After I had walked though five or six steps, suddenly I saw some movement in the grass in front of me. It was the huge snake, the biggest snake I've ever seen in my life. It was a black snake. Now they they are harmless. Black snakes are really good snakes, wonderful snakes, but... I was already shaken by the fact I'd seen two rattlesnakes and now there was this snake and I was really kind of petrified. At this point, I could not get back to that main road fast enough. I find it interesting that um, in the Bible, Satan is referred to as being a snake. Now, in a physical sense, when it comes to snakes, I've really never been afraid of snakes. 
When I was growing up, my brothers and I used to go hunting for garter snakes. We would lift up boards and oftentimes underneath the boards, there'd be a, a snake there. And at one time we had actually 19 garter snakes in an aquarium in our garage. I've never been afraid of snakes, but when I moved to West Virginia, things changed. I had never lived in a place where the snakes were dangerous where they could be stealthy, where they could bite you and you may not even notice them or may not even see them, where they're poisonous. In Illinois, in Ohio, where I lived, they weren't poisonous. When I think of the devil being described as a snake, it seems to me a very good description of him. I think part of the reason that he's called a serpent or a snake has to do with the fact that he tempted Eve in the Garden of Eden. Maybe that's one of the main reasons that I believe he kind of possessed a snake and spoke to Eve and and led to the downfall of humanity. But I think there are other reasons why he might be called a serpent or a snake because they, they, they are so dangerous and they are so stealthy and they can hide in places where you can't see them and they can't wait to strike at you. And this is kind of how it is, I think, with the devil. About two years ago, I was walking someplace and all of a sudden I heard the rattle of a snake And I looked down, I didn't see anything, but then I raised my eyes just a little bit and I saw a snake in the center of a log. And once again, I wasn't expecting it there. Usually I would expect the snake to be on the ground, but I I looked and this log was very tall, maybe two feet tall, and two-thirds the way up was a hole. And in that hole was a snake ready to strike. And when I think of the devil, I think that's, that's what he's like, ruthless, devious, a schemer. Last week, Josh talked about the fact that the devil's like a roaring lion. He's not like a kitten, and he's waiting to attack us. But we need to understand how he operates. The Apostle Paul was speaking to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. In verse 11, he says something interesting about Satan, but let's start by reading verse 10. He said, if you forgive anyone, I do too. For what I have forgiven, if I've forgiven anything, it is for you in the presence of Christ. Now let me stop for a moment. I realize just reading this out of context is kind of confusing. But Paul was speaking about a situation with which his readers were very familiar. A situation involving forgiveness. And he was basically saying to them, if you forgive this person, so do I. I'll forgive them for your sake. But then he adds this in verse 11, and it's the reason why forgiveness is so important. He said, I have done this so that we may not be taken advantage of by Satan, for we're not ignorant of his schemes. The apostle Paul recognized that Satan was a schemer. And in the context, what he was saying is that when there's a culture of unforgiveness, we give a place from which the devil can operate how this scheme or the devil wants to use occasions where there's a lack of forgiveness to accomplish his purposes. And of course, over the years, we've seen so many examples of this where somebody was unwilling to forgive somebody else. And as a result, the devil used that situation to cause a great deal of harm. Now, the verse says here, we're not ignorant of his schemes. And maybe some of you, when I read that verse, thought in your minds, yes, but I am ignorant of his schemes. Well, this is what I would like to address the next couple weeks. This week and next, I want to talk about some of the ways in which I'm convinced the devil works. Now, I want to mention again, as I did two weeks ago, that when I talk about the devil being involved in our lives, 
that I'm referring to the devil as kind of the head of this organization. And so when we talk about the devil being involved with the average Christian's life, we recognize that the devil is probably not the one specifically involved, but one of his, one of his demons is. And so we just refer to the devil in a general term, but the devil and his group is indeed involved or they are involved with our lives. Now, my main takeaway today is this, that we should not give the devil an opportunity to operate. Don't give the devil an opportunity to operate. Now, I mentioned two weeks ago that the devil has no authority over those who are Christians, but he does indeed have power and he does indeed take advantage of situations. This takeaway comes from Ephesians 4.26. Let me read it for you. Paul wrote, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. Be angry, don't sin, don't let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Anger, just like the subject of unforgiveness, provides a context that when we hold on to it, the devil can operate. This word opportunity here is translated a foothold in some translations of the Bible. It refers to a place from which the devil can operate. And so the apostle was saying, you make sure when it comes to anger and when it comes to unforgiveness that you do not give the devil a platform, a place from which he can operate because we recognize that's what he wants to do. He wants to take advantage of situations like this to cause harm and he oftentimes does it through us. Now, Jesus recognized this. In Luke chapter four, we read about the temptation of Jesus. The last verse in this section related to Jesus' temptation, in Luke four and verse 13, we read, after the devil finished every temptation, he departed for a time. Excuse me, I lost my place here for just one moment. He departed for a time. What I want us to understand is that the word time in this context does not mean time as in just another time. In other words, what he was saying was that the devil would come with another opportunity. I think sometimes we think that the devil only tempted Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. Like he tried to get a hold of Jesus before he began his ministry and that that was it. Then he left Jesus alone. But that was not the case. He was looking for more opportunities. This word opportunity, or this uh, time here, is the word kairos. It means a particular opportunity that you have to operate. And the devil would look for times in Jesus' life where he could get in there and take advantage of the situation, like perhaps when maybe Jesus was afraid of something, or when Jesus was tired, or something like that, where the devil would suddenly be right there trying to take advantage of that situation. I'm encouraging us today not to give the devil an opportunity to operate. Now this week, I wanna talk about two specific ways in which the devil often operates, and then next week, I wanna talk about three more. The first way in which I'm convinced the devil operates is through deceit. Satan and his demons are liars. He loves to lie, and he does so in ingenious ways. For example, when you think of the temptation of Eve in the Garden of Eden, Satan, in that occasion, did a, a, a lie, a bold-faced lie, lie he told to her, but also he told a partial truth, which oftentimes that's what the devil does. He interjects partial truths into the conversation. 
And so as the conversation unfolded between the devil and Eve, Eve told the devil, well, I'm not allowed to eat from this tree in the middle of the garden because in the day I eat of it, I will die. And Satan looked right at her and said, you will not die. It was a bald-faced lie. When Adam and Eve ate from that tree, death came into the world at that point. But then the devil added something. It was a little bit of the truth. He said, God doesn't want you to eat that because the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll know the difference between good and evil. And that was something that was attractive to Eve and it was something that was actually true. I'm reminded even with the temptation of Jesus that the devil quoted scripture and that's what he does. Jesus was talking about the devil in John 8 and verse 44. He was speaking to the religious leaders and he had these harsh words to say. He said, you are of your father the devil and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has not stood in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of liars. Satan lies because it's, it's very nature to lie. You know, I think of a, a pig that's rolling in the dirt. It, it does so because it's its nature to do so. When I think of a dog that barks, the reason a dog barks is because it's its very nature to do so. And when it comes to telling lies, the devil lies because it is his nature. It comes so naturally to him that even when he tells the truth, it is a lie. We read in Revelation 12 and verse 9 that this liar one day is going to deceive the whole world. And so we need to be alert for his lies. Now, how does he do this? Well, I think the primary way in which the devil lies to us is that he speaks to us or speaks to our spirit. Now, I think something we need to understand about this is that because the devil is a spirit being and we are spirit beings as well, that somehow he is able to communicate spirit to spirit. I don't know exactly how this works, but the same thing is true in terms of our relationship with God. Remember how Jesus talked about the fact that those who worship God must do so in spirit and in truth because God was a spirit. And so it's possible for you to be praying in your spirit without any words coming out of your mouth, and you're talking to God, and God who knows your spirit can hear what you're saying. I think the same thing is true when it comes to the devil. And so we read that the devil, for example, planted in the mind of Judas to betray Jesus. And we read how the devil also planted a thought in Peter's mind. Remember how Peter said to Jesus at one point, you're not going to die. And Jesus looked at him and said, get thee behind me, Satan. And so in some ways, we recognize that the devil is able to plant thoughts into our minds, lies. We have an example in Acts chapter five and verse three involving a couple who lied about some money that they were giving to the church. They'd sold some property. They withheld some of it, which they had the right to do, but then they lied about the amount when they presented it to the apostles. In Acts five and verse three, we read, then Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds from the field. Why has the Holy Spirit filled up your heart with this lie? And this is exactly how he works. Now, I don't believe every lie, specific lie, is from the devil. I think a lot of the lies originate from us because we are fallen. In our humanity, we lie many times to protect ourselves. 
But I think that Satan all the time wants to plant lies in our hearts and minds, lies about how God feels about us, lies about the truth of our identity, lies about other people. He's telling lies all the time. We recognize in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1 that even false religions are planted by the devil. We read now, the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Now, some might be disturbed by this statement, but I'm convinced there's only one God, and I'm convinced there's only one way we get right with God. It's through Jesus Christ. And that all the others are counterfeits. All the others are providing competition to the one truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But the devil is planting these other lies. Now, what do we do about this? How do we respond to the fact that Satan is a liar? Well, I want to mention a few things by way of application on this first point. One is that I think we need to love and pursue the truth. That we need to seek out what is true and we really need to love to get to the bottom of the truth, which I think we live in a culture right now that does not love the truth. We live in a culture that grabs a hold of partial lies and spreads those lies. We need to be the kind of people who want to investigate something and see whether it's true or not. Second, I want to encourage us to really cling to the word of God because especially as various lies are spread in our society and in our world today and through various organizations, through the media, through the internet, there are lies everywhere out there. Now more than ever before, I think we need to be clear in terms of what's true and what's not. And I am convinced and have been for most of my life that the Bible is indeed the word of God. It's the place where we go to find the truth and what is right. And by all means, we need to be people who are not tellers of lies, ones who are not spreading lies, which sometimes we do that, even as Christians. I've seen people spreading things online that were not true, and I've had to write a little note saying, that's not true, you should have checked into this before you spread it. As Christians, we need to love the truth. We read about in the last days, by the way, that the whole world will be deceived because they did not love the truth. But we have access to the truth through the word of God. There's a second way, though, in which I think the devil works. He tries to operate. In addition to deceit, is through division. I think one of the devil's main strategies is divide and conquer. If the devil can get us to be fighting one another, then we're not going to be attacking him. If he can get us all fighting against one another, we're not going to be about the mission that God has given to us. I wish I could raise this question and see everyone raise their hands, but the question would be this. How many of you have been part of a church that experienced a church split? So many of us as Christians have been part of a church where there was a church split. This is one of the devil's main tactics. And we don't recognize that oftentimes the devil wants to work through even other Christians to divide the church, to plant seeds that aren't good. I have been aware of situations in churches where they actually divided over things like the color of the carpeting or the color of a, of a room the paint. And people don't realize that the devil's behind this. Didn't Paul say that our struggle is not against flesh and blood? It's against principalities and powers. And you realize that the devil works through other people to accomplish his purposes. And so Paul emphasized time and time again, pursue unity, seek peace, go after that. Recognize that the devil is the one who plants accusations in our hearts and minds toward other people. He loves to do that. He plants suspicion in there. 
He plants doubts in there. He tries to get us to slander one another and gossip against one another. He uses our own jealousy and envy against us. James wrote about this in James 3, verses 14 and 16. He said, but if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't brag and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where envy and selfish ambition exist, there's disorder and every kind of evil. He says, if you have bitter envy in your heart or jealousy, don't lie about it. Over the years, I've watched people who had jealousy and then they planted seeds of doubt concerning other people to others, trying to divide. James says this kind of action is earthly, it's unspiritual, it is demonic, and we need to watch out for it. Remember that the devil himself is called slander. That's what his name means. I've seen people over the years, by the way, to spread something like a prayer request, but really it was an attempt at slander. And recognize again that when that happens, we're just like the devil. He's someone who clothes himself as this angel of light. He pretends to be one thing, but he's another. And oftentimes this is what Christians do as well. In the name of, let's pray for this person, they plant a seed of doubt or something that will divide. We don't wanna be the ones who are spreading slander and gossip. The devil wants to take advantage of situations like this. There's an interesting parable that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 13. I'm not gonna take the time to read it, but it's a parable about a landowner who planted some good seed. And then in the night, an enemy came in and planted bad seed. And then as the seed began to grow, it became obvious to the servants of that master that the crop was gonna be ruined because there were good good plants, but also weeds, both growing together. Jesus went on to explain what the parable meant. He said, the Satan is the one who plants in the bad seed right next to the good seed. The good seed represents Christians. The bad seed represents those who are not Christians. And oftentimes the devil plants them right next to us to try to ruin the crop. But I wanna suggest here today that sometimes Satan uses Christians to do the same thing. He works through Christians to accomplish his purposes, to divide us. And by the way, I think this applies not just to churches. I think anywhere where God's kingdom is being advanced, things like Christian schools and other places, I think the devil wants to use people to plant division. And I just want to encourage us to make sure we're on the right side. I mean, I, I, when I think of this example, I think of the kid who's playing football and he, he catches the ball, but then he runs to the wrong field position. He runs and scores a touchdown for the other team. And sometimes Christians are scoring touchdowns for the other team because the devil is using us to, spro- to spread division. Now today, by way of application, I want to suggest two ways in which I've suggested two ways in which the devil works. Number one is that he's a deceiver. He spreads lies. He spreads lies about what's good and what's bad, what's right and what's wrong. He plants lies in our hearts and minds concerning who we are and who God is and concerning other people. We just need to be alert to the fact that he is a liar. He's a deceiver. He's a slanderer. He's a gossip. And we need to make sure that we're applying the truth of God's word to those lies This is the thing that I think would make us the strongest when it comes to this subject if we would really give ourselves to what's taught in the Bible. If we'd say, this is where the truth is. 
We immersed ourselves in the pages of the Bible because that is the thing that allows us to see through the deception. It's the, the truth that allows us to look at all the other things and recognize that they are lies. And certainly, we don't want to be ones who, when we're on the internet and other places, we don't want to be the ones who are spreading lies, which again is easy to happen. When I hear what's talked about in the media or online, I see that many times stories are put out there that are kind of true, but they're not exactly. And then I'll find out the truth, and I'll realize even Christians were spreading these stories. We should not be ones who do that. On the subject of division, the devil wants us, of course, to be fighting each other, but we need to work hard at being peacemakers. And we need to recognize that sometimes God even, or the devil is gonna be in our midst trying to divide us. In fact, Paul wrote about the fact that if there's someone in the church that's guilty of division and they're spreading division and you've warned them one time and then you warn them a second time and they don't listen, Paul went so far as to say, get them out of the church, get rid of that cancer. We need to be ones who are working together pursuing unity so that the devil can't get a foothold in this area. Now, next week, I want to talk about some other areas in which the devil works, including the area of disease. I think this might be interesting to ask the question, is all disease from the devil? I want to look at destruction and death and some other areas in which the devil tends to operate. My main takeaway, again, though, is don't give the devil an opportunity to operate Last thing I want to mention, as I do almost every week, is that some of you maybe don't know where you stand with God. And maybe you've not come to a point in your life where you are part of the kingdom of heaven. We become part of the kingdom of heaven when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, who died in our place and for our sin and rose again from the dead to be our Savior. And so I encourage you to reach out to Jesus Christ to be your Savior. Because when we do that, we're transferred, we read, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We become part of Christ's kingdom and we begin to serve him as well. So if you've never done that, I encourage you to put your trust in Christ. And if you'd like to know more about that, just contact us and ask us for information about how to begin a relationship with God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are greater than our enemy. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us clues throughout the pages of the Bible that help us understand how he operates. And I pray, Lord, you'd give us a sensitivity, O Lord, to see when he's at work, to have eyes to see how he wants to divide us, how he deceives us, how he tells lies, Lord. And we want to be people of the truth. And we want to be people who seek peace and pursue it, as Peter wrote. So give us the grace, I pray, to apply these things to our lives, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.